friends, yes. Okay. Bye-bye. So I'm going to... I'm going to talk for the first, I think it's going to take me about an hour if I talk really fast. Um, and then we will go into uh, like a Q&A and you can ask any questions that you like. So for now, I'll just uh, get this information out to you and uh, we'll go from there. So welcome, everyone. I'm actually really excited about doing this talk because the menopause, it's like it's, it's something that your your mum, your grandma or they pretty much went through um, in silence. They used to talk about you know the chains and hushed voices. And um, it feels like it's treated like taboo and nobody wants to talk about it. But we can't run away from the menopause because it's going to happen or it has happened to all of us. But so many women don't know enough about it. We're given very little information. It's not taught in schools. I think girls are told that your periods stop and that's it. Um, even GPs don't even get training in menopause management. And it's not discussed at work. And even among your friends, it's really discussed openly. And yet it affects every biological woman and 50% of the population. And these days, women are living up to 30 years after the menopause. So it's time to take care of ourselves, get to thinking and talking about it and educate and, and others around us. So because menopause, it's not a disease and, or a medical condition. It's a completely normal, natural transition of a woman's life. And most women don't realise that perimenopause can start affecting them in their late 30s or early 40s. And in fact, it's one in 100 women under the age of 40 will experience menopausal symptoms. And it's this time we usually have small children, we have stressful jobs and busy lives, and we probably ignore our tiredness or low mood or um, we, you know, we just think it's associated with our lifestyles and not our hormones. And also, we're still having periods, so you don't think it could be menopause related because, after all, you know, old ladies, right? So, and then just to confuse us as well, we can have symptoms that fluctuate, so <clears throat> because our hormones are fluctuating, so things can improve, and then we just forget about it. So, all these symptoms that we might be experiencing, you know, we might just brush off as a, you know, symptom of our busy lives, and certainly not think that they might be perimenopausal symptoms. And because of, we think the menopause is, you know, something sometime in your 50s, we don't realise that actually um, this is perimenopause, which can happen up to 10 years before you go through the menopause. So I think it's important to know that the impact of the menopause, can, what the impact can have on women. Um, and whether it's partners or children or employers or anyone, I think it needs to be talked about. And, you know, we need to be more educated about it and remove that taboo associated with it. So. I'm hoping that this talk is going to give you the right education and so present you with the facts so then you can go off and make your own informed choices about your own health. Okay, so I'm going to get into it now. That was just an introduction. So what is the menopause? Right, so the menopause occurs when your ovaries are no longer producing eggs and, and, and as a result of this, your hormones, your estrogen and your progesterone and testosterone, they fall. Now you've got estrogen receptors all over your body and your brain which is why your mental health can be affected um, your skin your heart your bones your bladder your vagina and and these low levels of estrogen will affect all these parts of your body and actually it can fall to one percent of your premenopausal um, level so it's quite a lot it's quite a big and it, and it happens fast so and you're usually aware of these um, you're aware it's happening to you because you develop symptoms. Um, so the average age of menopause is in the UK is 51, and you're considered menopausal at the point in time 
it's been 12 months since your last period ended. So if you were average, it would be around 50, and then it's 12 months that you haven't had a period, and then you are postmenopausal for the rest of your life. So it's kind of technically um, a snapshot in time, so before you move on to postmenopausal. And just because you're postmenopausal, it doesn't mean that your symptoms disappear either. So most women will I'll experience symptoms for about four years after the last period, but symptoms can last for some women up to 12 years. It's a long time and sometimes even longer. So when you're looking at the menopause, you look at it from perimenopause to postmenopause. And, you know, like I said, this can, this can be a really long time. And just to be aware as well, the age that you go through the menopause and your symptoms depends on all sorts of different things. There is an association with your, at the age your mother had it, but although your symptoms and the severity of it can, can be different. So it's worth, uh, you know, looking at that. So the perimenopause, this is something that we don't realise. Um, I certainly didn't for a long time. We just thought it was all about the menopause. But the perimenopause is the period leading up to menopause. And, and this is when you can start experiencing symptoms, but you're still having periods. So that's why you kind of feel, you don't feel like that, you know, you are menopausal, but your hormones can be fluctuating. You know, you can ha still have periods, but often they are changing. So they're either more irregular or lighter or heavier than you're used to. And so what's happening is your hormones, your estrogen and progesterone, uh, progesterone they're fluctuating a lot. So it's the imbalance of these hormones that are, are causing you um, these symptoms. So when you read about menopausal symptoms, it also includes perimenopausal symptoms because they're the same. And um, the, the, the perimenopause typically starts around 45 years. But if um, the menopause occurs before the age of 45, it's an early menopause. And if it's under 40, then it's called a premature ovarian insufficiency. And this can run in the family. So if your mother had an early menopause, it may be likely that you have one. So when you think of it like that, it's like your symptoms can appear as early as 35 and can last up to 10 years. So let's talk symptoms. Now, if you suffer from PMS, um, then you tend to suffer more with menopausal symptoms. Um, and these symptoms can have different issues for different women. You know, we obviously know about the hot flushes and the night sweats and the mood swings, but there are actually so many more recognised um, symptoms and effects of the menopause that we don't actually associate with the menopause. We just think, oh, we're getting older. So I'm going to run through these symptoms. There are a lot of them. And you may be kind of sitting there going, oh, yeah, yeah, this sounds like me. So I'm going to run through them. Mood changes, like crazy mood swings, low mood, depression, nervousness, anxiety, difficulty sleeping, heart palpitations, low energy. And this can be like debilitating fatigue, you know, which, which doesn't get better with poor sleep. Um, stress or urge incontinence, welling of your hands and feet, um, chest pain when you're exercising reduced sex drive, problems with memory and concentration, you know, brain fog, um, vaginal dryness and pain, migraines and severe headaches, irregular periods, joint stiffness, aches and pains, reduced muscle mass, recurrent UTIs, weight gain, um, either loss of breast fullness or the opposite, they can get bigger, um, breast pain, bloating, um, food sensitivities, 
psychological changes, things like loss of self-confidence, um, feelings of isolation or feeling you know, invisible, hearing problems, um, worsening, like tinnitus, um, some women get tinnitus, worsening allergies, uh, pins and needles in your hands and feet, bleeding gums, formication, that's not fornication, which is formication is like a sensation of ants crawling over your skin, hair loss, except for the extra stuff you put on your face, and just a general loss of this for life, like a loss of joy, feeling flat, feeling miss, you know. And alcohol intolerance, that is a thing. So that's a lot of symptoms, and a lot of those we don't think, you know, we wouldn't even think that they, that they might be menopause symptoms. And actually, about 80% of women, but not all, but the majority of women who go through menopause will experience some of these symptoms to some degree. And I think what we've been told is, wow, symptoms usually last about a year or two, and you know, we just seem to suck it up and just get on with it and continue what you're doing and not complain. Well, you know, for some women, these symptoms can last for, you know, an average, I think, about eight years. But in some women, it can last for more than a decade. No, it's a long time to be just putting up with it. And, you know, because of things like, you know, if, you, if you've got heart palpitations, for example, or joint aches and muscle pain, um, you wouldn't necessarily associate that with the menopause. So you go to your GP and, you, you know, they might think you're depressed, so they put you on antidepressants, which don't help. We might go to a cardiologist because you're having heart palpitations, but you're not associating any of these symptoms with the menopause. So often... You know, women are given the wrong treatment for symptoms that are really just occurring because of this decline in estrogen. And, you know, one particular one is, is things like recurring urinary tract infections, you know, which aren't associated, necessarily associated with menopause. And women are put on these continuous treatments of antibiotics, which aren't going to be beneficial in the long run, when actually they can be safely and effectively treated with some vaginal estrogen, even elderly women. And, and because it's completely localized, there's no risk whatsoever. So, you know, I think with, particularly with incontinence, you know, it, 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 it seems like people think it's, oh, it's just a, a symptom of aging, but it's not normal. If you're having incontinence, it's not normal. So please consider that it might be your hormone. So, and also things like, because the estrogen helps lubricate your body, you can get things like dry mouth and dry eyes, which can also be linked to declining estrogen levels. So. We can often be suffering from loads of things and they get misdiagnosed and mistreated. So there's not a one size fits all for every, and every woman's going to be different, but it's difficult to know what's a menopausal symptom and what might just be the process of aging in midlife. So how do you test for it? Right, well, if you're over 45 and you have irregular periods and symptoms of the menopause, then you don't need a test. You can, you have the account of what your symptoms are, you know, to your doctor. Tell them what you're experiencing, and that's the basis for a diagnosis. And you can be prescribed HRT if that's what you want, um, but you are usually thought to be in perimenopause if that's the case. You can't take a blood test because it's not going to be accurate because your hormones are all over the place. So one week is going to be different, completely different from the next. So it's not a good indication whether you're in perimenopause. Um, it can be a good idea to track your symptoms so you can go into the doctor and say, this is what's happening and this is what I'm, I'm experiencing. And I'm going to give you a load of um, information after this, so some websites you can go to, which has um, apps that you can use and a scale that you can use. 
um, which might be helpful. But if you're under 45, then you may get a blood test and your doctor can then see whether your um, hormones are raised, which means it's likely that you're menopausal and then they repeat that blood test about a month later. But if you're under 40, then you may need to have further tests just to rule out any other um, <clears throat> other conditions. So to sum up perimenopause, basically, if you're around the age of 45 and you think you're too young for menopause, but you're experiencing symptoms, you don't know why, then you may want to think about the fact that you might be beginning perimenopause. And actually, you can be younger than that. So, you know, if the average age is 51, then there's going to be people on either side of that. So they can be a lot younger. So like I said, they could be late 30s, early 40s. So now we know what it is, what the big question is, what can we do about it? So when it comes to our lifestyle and nutrition and exercise, it can have a big impact on our health and well-being. So um, normal aging, when, you, when you're just getting older, everybody, your, your muscle mass will decline as a result of um, just getting older, really. And it can lead to a condition called sarcopenia, which is a loss of lean body mass. So this means you have reduced muscle mass, which re means reduced strength. And unfortunately, because of the decrease in estrogen around the menopause, this increases that cystitine. So it can cause your metabolism to go down um, because you're losing muscle. Um, so this means you're at, at an increased risk of sarcopenia because less muscle means decreased metabolic rate. And also... It's much muscle protein synthesis, which is building of new muscle, is much harder as you age. So basically not having adequate protein intake and having a sedentary lifestyle is going to make things worse for you if you're menopausal. So what you need to be doing is, is what all of you in 8 Lean know, is resistance training and sufficient protein, particularly having not just looking at total protein intake over the day, but having a good, decent amount of protein in at least one meal. So if you're not already doing that, why not? Um, and because of this lower en energy expenditure, you're also you're not using as much energy when you exercise as you were before. So we all know the benefits of exercise. And during menopause, it can also help symptoms of low mood and hot flushes, um, not to mention being good for your cardiovascular health. And resistance training is good for your bones um, and retaining muscle mass. But, you know, I understand it can be, it can be really hard to have the motivation to exercise when you're experiencing symptoms, you know, particularly low energy and joint pains, but you are putting your health at risk and not exercising um, because of your symptoms. And the risks can be quite significant. So often people don't think about this when they don't do anything about their symptoms or they don't know what to do about their symptoms. So we also tend to slow down as we age and we don't realize it. Um, you know, our daily activity decreases, but our calorie intake often increases or even stays the same. But we're not as active as we used to be, um, which in turn can mean we're more susceptible to gain weight. So it's really important to keep an eye on our, an eye on our daily activity. So our NEAT, our non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is all the stuff that you do outside of your planned exercise, all that, you know, whether it's, you know, just walking or moving around or fidgeting or doing the housework or whatever. And this doesn't mean you have to run 10Ks every day. It's just the small changes that are the most effective of going for a walk, taking the stairs, just general overall movement. Okay. So diet. Now this can have a big impact on your symptoms and it's often overlooked in favor of a magic bullet. You know, we're often looking for, for something magical to, 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 to help everything. But 
the same principles uh, the same principles apply, right? So you need to look at your lifestyle at this age. It's really important. You know, I'd love to say there's there's a you know a magic menopause diet, but there isn't. Um, as always, you've got to find an approach that works for you. The same healthy eating guidelines apply. And if you don't know where to start, then um, something like a Mediterranean style diet with plenty of fruit and vegetables, whole grains, legumes, which are your beans, peas, and pulses like chickpeas and lentils, um, low-fat dairy, olive oil, nuts, avocado. So, you know, we, we all know this. We all know that this is a, a you know, good, healthy way to eat. So it's, it's important because being overweight and obese can affect uh, menopause symptoms like hot flushes and joint aches and pain. So it's, it's another reason for you to get healthier, you know, get to a healthy weight if you're not already. Um, including lots of calcium-rich diets, um, rich foods in your diet, because that's going to help your bones. Things like dairy foods and green leafy vegetables, bony fish like sardines and um, salmon, you know, tin salmon, nuts, tofu, and you can get fortified cereals and plant milks and things like that. And of course, make sure you're eating your comfort foods, your nice foods. You've got to, you've got to, the eighty twenty rule. You've got, you've got to be able to include those. Eat enough protein, like I said before, because remember, declining estrogen can lead to muscle loss. So make sure you're keeping your protein high um, and enough fiber, which is whole grains, fruits, and vegetables, around twenty five to thirty grams a day if you're measuring it. Have adequate fat. Don't be tempted to do low-fat diets and include include plenty of like unsaturated fats like avocado and nuts and seeds and oils. Um, alcohol can be a trigger for hot flushes, so it might be an idea to reduce those. And, and obviously, as much fun as it is, it does have an impact on our mental health and our sleep quality. So um, also, for some women, caffeine and spicy foods can trigger symptoms, particularly like hot flushes. And some women can also find that sugar can be um, a bit of an issue. So but this varies between individuals. So it might it's best to experiment with your food diary and, and see whether uh, reducing any of these foods impacts your symptoms um, or you might have some triggers. So, you know, unfortunately, you can't manipulate your hormones through the nutrition at any time and in your life. And the, and the same goes for, for menopause. So. You know, unless you are introducing your hormones back in the form of HRT, which we will get onto, there's not much you can do. So just set your expectations that this might happen and um, follow the same principles as you would on any fat loss diet. There's no magic cure or diet or supplement. So there are things you can do, which I will get to later, um, to, to reduce the risk of um, the consequence of the menopause like osteoporosis and heart health. So I will get to that later on. But I'm just going to talk about appetite. A lot of women find their appetite increases and this can have like a knock-on effect for weight gain, So, which can in turn help increase our health risk. So what happens is estrogen actually plays a role in appetite control. So when your estrogen drops, you can see an increase in appetite. And then your lack of sleep caused by um, menopause effects can increase hunger. So it reduces your satiety hormone and it increases your hunger hormone. So basically, you've got fatigue, you've got decreased estrogen, and you've got a hugely increased appetite. And then you're tired, and you're not as active as before. So your weight can creep up. So remember the basics, keeping your protein high, using lots of high-volume, high-fiber foods, like vegetables and whole grains to help fill you up. And don't forget hydration. Because, um, 
actually your thirst mechanism isn't as good as you get older. So it's important to drink fluids. That's tea, coffee, squash, as well as plain water. And that will help with your appetite and fatigue. So I'm just going to go on to the middle-aged spread. Yes, it is a thing, and unfortunately, it's really common. And this is because our fat distribution changes. So as our hormones get all messed up, um, we tend to store more fat around our middle, which is more of a, a, a male fat distribution because your testosterone and estrogen balance are out of whack. So, and we're also le losing lean body mass. So we're losing muscle, which is more metabolically active than fat, which means burns more calories. So we have a tendency to gain fat more easily. So unfortunately, if you gain too much fat around your belly, it can lead to health problems. So the aim is to keep your waist circumference under 35 centimetres for women. Otherwise, you are going to increase your health risk. So, and also to be aware that menopause can um, increase water and gas retention, which can make you feel heavier. Um, so how do we fix this? Well, we all know that to lose body fat, you need to be in a calorie deficit. And this doesn't change with, because we're in the, in the menopause. You know, energy balance still matters. But, Again, we need to look at our lifestyles. We need, you know, how are we coping with stress? Are we getting enough sleep? Are we having a good balanced diet? And I understand that, you know, all of this is so much harder because our menopause symptoms can like indirectly make achieving a, a calorie deficit so, you know, significantly harder because it's impacting our energy levels, our daily activity, our motivation to exercise, our sleep, our appetite. Um, so you could slow, be slowing down without realising, you know, or you're feeling rubbish because of your symptoms, so you're not being as active, or your mood's affected, so you're comfort eating. So it, it just makes things harder. But And the other thing which can happen is that you, you're in a calorie deficit, so you're losing fat, but what's happening is your, your, your fat is being redistributed. It's being mobilised from areas like your hips and thighs and getting stored around your middle. So you're still losing fat, but your 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 genes are feeling tighter around the middle, but you don't realise actually you're losing fat around your bum and thighs. So it just feels like it's it's it feels like you're gaining it, but it's just kind of going to a different area, right? But it will happen. It will happen. You just have to stick with the process and be patient and consistent. Um, also, the stress hormone cortisol can increase your belly fat, um, and cortisol is increased in menopause. Um, HRT can reduce it again, but lack of sleep can also increase cortisol as a stress, because it's a stress hormone. So, and stress and anxiety can be increased in the metaphors. So it's like we're not winning at anything. So you need to look at reducing stress in your life. And, you know, you can do this with things like regular exercise, diet, good sleep hygiene, stress management techniques like meditation, yoga, or there's apps you can use like, you know, Headspace or Calm or things like that but and taking a sustainable approach to dieting can help you know doing restrictive diets and excessive exercise is just going to make your body more stressed and you know because you know we're, we're only able to cope with stress at this, it's, we're less able to cope with stress because of the menopause so it, it is a double whammy a triple whammy anyway um so take the time to rest and recover if you need to so yeah it does make it harder all round, but it, it isn't impossible. And it's important because if you can control your symptoms now and, and in your weight gain now and perimenopause, then you're going to come into postmenopause in a much better place. So, and remember that, you know, 
things may change from week to week depending on your symptoms. And, you know, some weeks you might be feeling on it and some weeks you just might be feeling a bit more. So make sure you have realistic goals depending on how you're feeling. And, and if you need to, break them down into smaller goals that are easier to manage. <clears throat> so I'm going to go on to energy and mood. And this is a biggie because I think the psychological changes associated with the menopause can be the hardest to deal with, right? So you, you feel really angry one minute and, and really tearful the next and or permanently irritable, which can affect your relationships with your partners, with your children, even with your friends. And it can be really debilitating when you've lost the joy in life. You know, it's like all the joy's gone out of your life and you just feel permanently flat. And actually, so many women, in fact, almost 40% of women report low mood associated with the menopause. And this is because estrogen helps regulate serotonin, which is our feel-good hormone. So falling estrogen levels can really impact our mood. And interestingly, if you do have a past history with postnatal depression or PMS, then you're actually more likely to experience mood changes um, because your body is more sensitive to the changing levels of hormones. So that's something to be aware of. So this might be a time when you reach out for professional help in the form of CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. And this is a valid treatment recommended by the Menopause Society. And it, and it just helps with mood changes, particularly anxiety and low mood. And what it does is it, it focuses on your thoughts and beliefs and um, how they affect your feelings and behaviour. And it just gives you different, teaches you different coping skills for dealing with different problems. You can either self-refer for CBT on the NHS or you can ask your GP to refer you. And reduced levels of estrogen also can lead to um, forgetfulness or what we call brain fog. And this can lower your mood because it can be really frightening when, it, when you feel like you're losing your mind. Um, and testosterone is another important hormone which is produced by the ovaries and that can have an important effect on your brain and that's reducing as well in the menopause. So often you go to your GP and, and they may not think of your hormones as a primary cause of symptoms, particularly if you're in your 30, late 30s or early 40s. And, and like I mentioned, it's not unusual for menopause symptoms start as early as this for some women. But if you're being prescribed antidepressants for low mood, then there are actually NICE guidelines. And the NICE guidelines um, stands for National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. And they're these evidence-based guidelines um, for health and care in England. Okay, so the NICE guidelines, they actually state there is no evidence that antidepressants ease low mood in menopausal women who have not been diagnosed with clinical depression. And the first line of treatment for low mood and anxiety is HRT and CBT. And despite this, so many women are offered antidepressants when they first go to their GP about their menopausal symptoms. So it's important to talk to your doctor about why you're prescribed these if you are. If it's for menopause-related low mood, then they don't usually help. Um, and this is because there's no evidence that they actually help psychological symptoms in the menopause. They don't fill the little estrogen receptors in your brain. Um, and they come with some unpleasant side effects. You really don't want to be taking them if you don't need them. But they do, interestingly, help with hot flushes and night sweats. So they may benefit you if you've been, if you've been prescribed them for, for those symptoms. So alternative treatments for mood changes, again, lifestyle factors. They can really help you feel better. Um, and they're just good for improving your overall general health. And they're things we already know. 
eating healthily, lots of fruits and vegetables, limiting overly overly processed foods, um, vitamin B, which can help with energy, foods high in omega-3s. Get your vitamin D level checked um, because that can also help with low mood, particularly associated with menopause, and also improves your bone density post-menopause. So um, exercising and, like I said, CBT. So make sure you get the right treatment for you. Um, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to put some resources at the end. Um, there's a particular uh, one, Dr. Louise Newson, and she's a leading menopause specialist in the UK. She's called the Menopause Doctor, and, and her website is brilliant. So if you're struggling with low mood, I really recommend going to her website and, and finding out the information there. And anxiety is a common side effect. I know a lot of women suffer from anxiety, and particularly if you have a pre-existing health condition like bipolar and OCD, it can actually get worse now. And Or even if you haven't even experienced anxiety before, you can have such crippling anxiety that you can't leave the house or drive or hold down a job. So it's important that you discuss these issues with your GP because they can um, reassure you and advise you the best way forward. Don't suffer, honestly. Anxiety can be debilitating, and it's not wrong or failing, you know, to go and seek help. Um, and what you can do to help is, again, the same thing. Exercise is important. Often you have excessive adrenaline, so exercise is a good outlet. Um, and eating well is going to have a positive effect on your mental health. Uh, again, relaxation techniques and stress management, because it's all linked. So using yoga and meditation and lowering your stress can help with anxiety as well. Um, trying not to, say if you're dieting, try not to be on really low calories because sometimes that can increase your symptoms for some people, um, sugary food. But again, have get a, get a food diary, get a diary, write down your symptoms, track your symptoms, find a pattern and, and work out, you know, your triggers and, and what and things to reduce or avoid. But it's difficult, and often at this time, you know, we have significant life events happening, you know, which doesn't help. We've got parenting teenagers. We might be caring for elderly relatives, elderly parents or elderly relatives. We might have career changes. And all these things play a role in, you know, our, our symptoms, our feelings of, you know, being overwhelmed. So it's important to address these. So uh, there is, you can use HRT for treating anxiety as well as depression. But often people with anxiety often worry about the fear of taking HRT yourself. So if you're worried um, about the risks associated with taking HRT, then find a doctor um, you can talk to about it. And remember the importance of self-care, you know, making time for you, whether it's closing your laptop and going for a walk or doing some exercise, meditation, whatever feels good for you. Um, making time for doing the things that you enjoy. Yeah. So I'm also going to post, which Laura put um, a really good uh, link for a menopause psychologist. So um, she has a really useful website. So that might be helpful for any of you suffering from menopause-related uh, anxiety. So let's lead this on to sleep. And this can be massively impacted during the menopause. And lack of sleep, as we know, can impact our lives so much. And this can be whether it's from hot flushes, night sweats, or getting up in the night to go to the loo, or, or because we're suffering from stress or depression or anxiety. All of these can impact our sleep. And also, lower levels of progesterone. This can lead us to trouble getting to sleep and restlessness. And all of this affects our mood and our stress levels and our ability to cope with life. And 
you know, we all know it can feel quite overwhelming when, when with lack of sleep. So, and we can get food cravings, which can then lead to unwanted weight gain, and it's it's really difficult. So, um, your hormones also can affect your the hormone melatonin, which helps regulate sleep. So, often supplementing with melatonin can help with sleep, sleep issues. So, that's something you have to get prescribed by the doctor. So, magnesium can help. Some women, um, HRT, particularly progesterone, has a calming effect. But it's also worth looking at your sleep hygiene. So things like uh, keeping your bedtime consistent, not having a really heavy, heavy duvet if you get night sweats, or having cotton fabric nightwear, um, avoiding stimulants like caffeine, um, particularly, in fact, I would avoid caffeine after lunch because it has a, has a half-life of five to six hours, which means it can take 12 hours to leave your system. Um, keeping a fan by your bed, uh, you know, if you get hot at the night, lim- limiting your screen time. If your mind's racing, it's quite good to kind of offload with a pen and paper beside your bed. So if you're waking up, you know, with your mind racing, you can write things down. And again, meditation, um, alcohol, unfortunately, has, can be detrimental to sleep. And if you're getting up in the night a lot to go to the loo, then maybe front-loading your fluids, but, you know, in the, uh, more so in the beginning of the day, so you're not. Um, especially water and caffeine so you're not having to get up in the night so much so if symptoms are not enough there are actual health risks to your body when you go through the menopause so I'm going to go through the main ones Um, we have osteoporosis now it's estimated that one in three postmenopausal women has osteoporosis and this is a condition that weakens our bones, so it makes them more likely to break, even from a simple fall. So, and it's much more common after the menopause because estrogen works to keep your bones strong. So as estrogen levels fall, it increases the rate at which your bone tissue breaks down. And obviously fracturing bones can be um, really painful, but if you fracture your hip, for example, then that can really affect your future quality of life. You, know, you may need a hip replacement. Um, and even normal stresses, if you've got osteoporosis, um, can can affect your bones, like things like sitting or standing or even hugging, can actually result in a, a, in a real painful fracture. And you can't usually tell that you've got osteoporosis until you break a bone. Um, but your diet and lifestyle can play a big role in improving bone health. Resistance training, it strengthens bones as well. It's helping you know, preserve your muscle mass. So all the stuff you're doing to help minimize muscle loss is going to help with your bone density issues. Um, having a low BMI can also be a risk factor. So getting really, really lean is, is going to increase your risk. Smoking, heavy drinking, that's also going to have an impact on your bone loss. So important nutrients for bones, protein. It's good for everything. Um, calcium, uh, dairy, like I mentioned before, tin sardines, um, tofu and depending on uh, your doctor may want you to take a calcium supplement depending on your diet uh, and, your, and your current bone health vitamin d always important particularly at this time of year it's, t- it's really hard to get it from your diet alone so uh, definitely take a supplement there things like vitamin k and phosphorus are really good i mean these are usually abundant in our diet if you have a balanced diet vitamin k is broccoli and spinach and dairy and meat and chicken and phosphorus is in suns and loads of things. So as long as you've got a very balanced diet, then you're going to be getting those those minerals there. Magnesium is really good. Magnesium is quite good for, not only good for bone density, but it can also help with sleep and stress. And it's also good for aching joints. 
um, and some women find it's quite good for anxiety and headaches. So that might be something to look out for. You can find it in green leafy veg, um, like spinach, brown rice, beans, um, whole grains, nuts. Um, and you, you should really get the most, most of the magnesium you need from your diet, but you can take a supplement. And it is, you can take 270 milligrams a day. And it's magnesium citrate that you need. So, so you know, you can get most of these uh, minerals from your diet. And as long as you're keeping your protein, apart from vitamin D, vitamin D is one that you definitely need to take a supplement for and keep your protein high. The other biggie is cardiovascular disease. And this is the disease of your heart and blood vessels. So this is like heart attacks and strokes. And this increases after menopause because estrogen is important in keeping your blood vessels healthy. So declining levels of estrogen leads to narrowing of the arteries, which, which can mean an increased risk of heart attack or stroke. And lower estrogen can also increase your cholesterol. So that further increases your cardiovascular risk. Um, and also, when we talked about middle-age spread, um, gaining belly fat, that the fat distribution around your middle, then that can also be associated with an increase in heart disease. Another risk factors are things like being overweight, high blood pressure, diabetes, smoking, family history. So, and what can we do about that? So, this is all about your fat. You know, if you've got, if you eat a lot of saturated fat, then maybe uh, skew the, get the balance back when you um, start eating more unsaturated fat like uh, in plant-based oils and avocado and nuts and seeds um, and just reducing your saturated fat which is your animal fat and your and your butter and things in coconut oil and processed meat and things like that but um, trans fats is one to look out for there is an increased risk with trans fats so for this reason you don't have to avoid them just limit them and there are things like pastries and cakes and, and donuts and all the nice things um, include plenty of whole grains, nuts, seeds, legumes, um, enough fruit and veg, uh, uh, oily fish, um, one to two portions of oily fish a week. And if you don't eat fish, then, then an omega-3 supplement would be good. Don't smoke, exercise regularly, get plenty of sleep, manage stress levels. All of those things we know are important for your overall health are going to help you for your cardiovascular disease risk. And other diseases to be aware of um, in the menopause are dementia and Alzheimer's. There is an increase of risk of these and when you're in the menopause. Now, all these risk diseases can actually be, these, the risk of all these diseases can be reversed with hormone treatment. So I will get onto that a bit, in a bit, but I'm just going to briefly go over some herbal medicines and alternative therapies before I get into the big one, the HRT, the elephant in the room. So um, now, unfortunately, there's not a huge amount of evidence around for herbal medicine. Um, and even though they're natural, they're not necessarily safer because there's huge variations in their effectiveness and potency. So some will come with side effects that can interfere with other medicines you're taking as well. So you have to be really careful. And remember that herbal medicines, they're not going to address the cause of your symptoms, which is your hormone levels. So therefore, they're not going to protect your bones or reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease. So if you are considering herbal medicines, then make sure you speak to a health professional first and you have to make sure it's got the THR mark of certification, which is a traditional herbal registration mark. So 
like I said, there's not many supplements for menopause symptoms. Um, it's by a lot of convincing research. But, you know, there's still anecdotal evidence for some things working. So you can always give it a go if it's safe and see if it works for you. It's, uh, you know, a good rule of thumb is give it a go for six weeks, Max. If, if it isn't improving symptoms after this time, then it's unlikely to work at all. So you're wasting your money. Now, black cohosh, this gets mentioned a lot, mainly for hot flushes. But there's huge variability in the potency of this. So it can be difficult to know what you're getting. And there's actually been no effective trials to prove it works. But there's no harm in giving it a go. Give it a go for six weeks, no effect, and I, I would stop using it because it's not going to work. And the placebo effect here is real. You know, if you feel it's helping um, and you think it's helping and maybe it is helping, then, you know, there's no harm in taking it. But please speak to your GP if you are going to take it in case your current conditions or you're taking some medication that might interact with it. Um, St. John's Wort is another one. Uh, this can reduce hot flushes and night sweats for some women, but again, ingredients can vary and their effects are, you know, uncertain. So again, make sure you check um, with your doctor in case you're taking other drugs that, that might interfere with it. Um, now, phytoestrogens. These are plant estrogens, and they have a similar structure to human estrogen, although their impact on our body is much weaker. And these are these occur naturally in, in some plant-based foods, things like soybeans and soy-based foods, chickpeas, um, flax seeds, sesame seeds, peanuts, barley, um, grapes, uh, garlic, tea. And there's also the concentrated form of phytoestrogens, which is soy, isoflavin, and red clover supplements. So, again, I'm afraid there's not a lot of convincing evidence uh, relating to phytoestrogens and, and menopausal symptoms. Um, there is some promising evidence emerging on the effects of the soy isoflavones alone, these the concentrated ones. So it's worth looking out for. But if it's something you're taking and it helps you, then there's nothing wrong with that. Just because there's no evidence doesn't mean it's not going to help you. But like with most things, it, it's not going to help everybody. So I'm going to get on to HRT. Um, now, I'm not a doctor. Any medical questions have to be directed towards your GP. You know, I have personal experience. I've read a lot of research. I've listened to a lot of the evidence-based experts talk. Um, but I'm not advising you in any way. I'm just presenting you the facts, and that's something you need to go and speak to your health professional about. Um, but I really want to clear up the misinformation that's been going on about HRT and particularly breast cancer. Um, and I will post uh, further reading and study the studies that I mentioned so you can do your own research because there's some really good ones that um, podcasts and things you can listen to um, that really, really explain it well. So there's no one size fits all for treatment um, and there's different treatments. It's very individual depending on your own individual situation. But if you're really suffering with the effects of menopause, then HRT can actually have a really dramatic effect on your symptoms and give you um, a better quality of life. I mean, you still need to do the basics but the basics does just actually work well again. And, and, you know, in addition to making you feel better by addressing, you know, the underlying cause of your symptoms, um, your hormones, it actually protects you against osteoporosis, reduces your risk of cardiovascular disease, not to mention Alzheimer's, dementia, and diabetes. So what is it? Well, it's a treatment that contains hormones. Now, it's mainly estrogen, and if you have a uterus, you will need to take progesterone as well. 
And what it does is it replaces the estrogen that your ovaries are no longer making after menopause. And um, some women also benefit from taking testosterone as well. They're different types. Most are now completely natural. The estrogen is der derived from wild yams. There's now a micronized progesterone on the market, um, which also comes from wild yams. Um, so, yeah, and it doesn't delay menopause. If you stop taking it, you will be how you are if you're not taking it. So, for example, if you have symptoms for 10 years and you stop taking it until you have five years, then you've still got um, symptoms ahead of you. So you're not delaying it. You were just going, you were always going to experience these. You're just unmasking it. And remember, I, I don't know if I said, but like three out of 10 women can experience menopause symptoms for more than 10 years. Um, and there's no upper limit to taking HRP. You can take it for the rest of your life. The NICE guidelines have changed. Um, they used to be, you could only take them for five years, but now you can take them for as long as you want. Um, and what, what's the other thing, the NICE guidelines, which are these guidelines for health and care in England? They state, for the majority of women under the age of 60, the benefits outweigh the risks. Um, and there are very few risks associated with, associated with HRT. Um, now, there are two small risks, uh, the risk of breast cancer and a blood clot. Now, blood clots can be reduced by taking HRT by gels and patches and not tablets, because then they don't get metabolized by the liver. But the one that most women worry about is breast cancer. And actually, the risk is actually really small, in fact, rare, particularly if you're under 60, within 10 years of your menopause and and your actual risk depends on loads of other factors like your age, your family history, your general health, and not just whether you take HRT. So, I mean, the types of risks associated with HRT are actually kind of like or less than even or similar to, to other common things. I mean, who here took the contraceptive pill? You know, there was a lot more hormones in that, and that was synthetic, and that had a lot more risk associated with it, particularly because it was a tablet. But so, in a lot of cases, there's no risk at all, and I'll cover that in a minute. But this is this is why it's really crucial that you discuss your individual circumstances with your GP. And it's a real shame that over the last 20 years, HRT has been given a real negative press, and so many women are scared and worried about taking it. And the reason why. It was due to this large trial that was reported in um, 2002. It was called the Women's Health Initiative. So you may have heard of this. But it has since been shown that it's been seriously flawed. And not only that, recently, um, the, the authors of this study have admitted um, that, that people misinterpreting the results of their study is one of the main reasons that women are now unnecessarily worried about HRT. And the risk that they thought was significant was found to be not statistically significant. So 18 years later, they've admitted their data was flawed. We didn't hear that media sensational headline, you know, and this was a long-term follow-up 18 years on. So we can now see the statistical significance of it. And they found a whole heap of benefits that have been overlooked, you know, lower risk of, not to mention, you know, lower risk of heart disease and osteoporosis. So they have admitted that taking estrogen is not only safe, but it actually lowers breast cancer for those taking estrogen only. And, and they've admitted the study was flawed and that the data was misinterpreted and leaked to the, what was leaked to the media was wrong. But this hasn't been reported by the media. You know, you know, where are the headlines to reassure women that HRT is not only safe, but it's actually got more benefits 
than the small amount at risk it may carry for some women. And in fact, it can lower the risk for some women. And in fact, you know, when it came out in 2002, it was actually leaked to the media and scientific studies never leaked to the media. And then it became a sensationalist headline. And all these, it was in the United States and all these women in, in the States and the UK stopped taking HIV overnight. It was just like stopped. And then there was this massive increase in the incidence of heart attacks and osteoporosis. And yet the incidence, the incidences of breast cancer didn't increase. So, you know, that scaremongering headline was like nearly two decades ago, but it's still talked about. Even though so many other studies have been done to show that the study was wrong and the benefits outweigh the risks for most women, and now women are kind of needlessly suffering because they're scared and they're, you know, but they're actually increasing their risk by not taking HIV because heart disease and osteoporosis is far more common than breast cancer. You know, if you think about it, if estrogen caused breast cancer, then premenopausal women would get breast cancer more than postmenopausal women because they have more estrogen and get more estrogen in pregnancy, but. And actually, they used estrogen for breast cancer treatment before they started using tamoxifen, but that's another thing. Estrogen's a good thing. We need it. I'm going to show you a slide here. If I can manage to share my screen. Can we see that? Can we see that there? Yes. You're all on mute. Can you nod? Can you do yes. that? Okay, thanks. So <clears throat> this is what's given out. I got this from a GP friend of mine. This is um, Women's Health Concern, the Menopause Society. So it just goes to show, right, this is um, the incidence of cancer per 1,000 women aged 50 to 59. So it's, there's 23 cases of breast cancer diagnosed in the UK population per 1,000 women, okay? An additional four cases in women on combined hormone therapy, that's with uh, estrogen and progesterone. For fewer cases in women on estrogen only, um, for the contraceptive pill, there's four more cases, an additional five cases for women who drink two or more units of alcohol per day, three more with smokers, and that many more if you're overweight or obese. That is the increase in risk of breast cancer. Um, and then fewer cases if you if you're a regular exerciser. I'm going to go back to the screen now. Am I back? <laughs> okay. So, you know, the risk of breast cancer with HRT is actually lower than the risk of breast cancer in a woman who drinks a couple of glasses of wine most nights or is overweight and doesn't exercise. So, lifestyle factors increase your risk far more than taking HRT. And if your symptoms are causing you to stop exercising or to turn to comfort food for an energy or mood fix, and therefore you become overweight, then not taking HRT is more likely to increase the risk of breast cancer. And, you know, often people taking HRT have a better lifestyle anyway, so they're offsetting any risk. So I've got some statistics here. Right, so there's no increased risk of breast cancer in women who take HRT under the age of 51, which is the average age of menopause. And there's never been a study which has shown there's an increased risk of dying from breast cancer in women who take HRT. So if you're perimenopause and you're in your 30s or 40s, it's recommended to take hormones until at least the age of 51 because it's the average age of menopause. And because all you're doing is replacing what your body is otherwise not producing. So we're designed to have our menopause at 51. So if you have an early menopause, then you have to replace the estrogen because if you don't, then you have a huge risk of 
osteoporosis and heart disease and dementia and diabetes. So, and if you um, if you are just taking estrogen only without a progesterone, if you've had a hysterectomy, then you have no increased risk and actually probably a reduced risk, um, whatever your age. So it's a type of progesterone, but like I said, there's a there's a new micronized progesterone on the market. So, so HRT does remain the most effective treatment to treat symptoms, and it's thought that actually one in ten women who would actually benefit from taking HRT actually take it. And the earlier you start it, the more it protects you from osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease. So, if you're refused HRT and it's what you want and you don't understand why, ask why. Do your own research. You might it might be that you're one of the few people that can't take it, which is if you're if you have an estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. But you need to be happy with the reason that and it explain and you know it's been explained to you from a science point of view and not because you know your GP might be anti HRT. And do your own research as well. There's a lot of information out there now to find out what's best for you. You know, I don't I think you know, a standard no from your GP without without an explanation, is, you know, isn't good enough. Um, and if you have a history of blood clots, liver disease or migraine, you can still take HRT. You just need to take it in a gel or patch form um, instead of a tablet. And the same goes for high blood pressure and hypertension and overweight. It doesn't mean you can't have it. It's just safer to take gels and patches. And actually, gels and patches have a positive effect on your blood pressure and cholesterol. They can... Um, Bad cholesterol goes down and good cholesterol goes up. Um, so, and the heart disease reduces, um, sorry, HRT reduces heart disease by 50% if taken within 10 years of your last period. 50%, that's a lot. And heart disease is the number one killer of women. And seven times as many women die of heart disease than they do of breast cancer. So, you know, oh, the other thing as well is there's no current, um, way to prevent or reduce the risk of Alzheimer's um, and other forms of dementia, except you guessed it, estrogen. So, anyway, it, it's important to know that it's a safe and effective treatment for most women um, with symptoms and who are going through the menopause and the perimenopause. But you have to decide the benefits of HRT have to be balanced against any risk for you. So you have to decide if it's right for you. And Obviously, you know, talk to your doctor, get advice um, with, uh, you know, with your doctor, depending on your individual circumstances. So, you know, like I, I think I mentioned before, did I, the NICE guidelines have, have changed. There's no maximum time which you can take it. So, and, and, and you can take it for the rest of your life. And it's never too late. If you're in your 60s and 70s, you can take HRT, even if you've never taken it before. So you just have to talk to your doctor about the risk. So before I finish off, just remember, the best candidates for HRT are symptomatic women younger than 60 or within 10 years of the menopause, although you can take it at any time. Um, HRT is benefits, uh, benefits most women and helps eliminate most symptoms um, in most women. And you don't have to wait for your symptoms to become really severe before taking it. You know, the earlier you take it, the better. It doesn't work by delaying the menopause. If you have menopausal symptoms after stopping HRT, that means you would have been having symptoms even if you've never taken it. Um, women under the age of 50 have no increased risk of breast cancer taking HRT, and women over 50 on estrogen only HRT, so if you've had a hysterectomy, have no increased risk and quite likely a reduced risk. So it's a personal decision. 
um, which you should talk to your doctor about. So I'm just going to do a quick word on bioidentical hormones. So you might have seen this on the internet, and this is a different than body of um, body identical, which I've just been talking about. So you'll f sometimes find some private clinics offer this type of HRT. It's often really expensive, and they they tend to have like blood or saliva tests, and then they provide a custom blended or compounded um, hormone treatment. Fair clear. They're just they're not regulated. They're not safe. They can give you high doses of hormones that aren't necessary. Um, they're not regulated uh, because they're marketed as a natural um, supplement. They don't require approval, and the British Menopause Society doesn't endorse them. So just don't don't go anywhere near them. So how am I getting on? An hour. Okay. Um, I was just going to quickly say who can't take HRT because I think some people think that if you've had breast cancer, you can't take it, but only, and this is another thing to talk to your doctor about. And and if your doctor isn't, you know, like I said, not all GPs are menopause trained, so they're not maybe not all up with the latest guidelines. So find one that is, find one that you know is willing to you know work with you. Um, the main reason for not being able to take HRT is if you're currently having treatment for an active estrogen receptor cancer. So, for example, if you're having tamoxifen to treat breast cancer, it's not the same as having a female relative. Um, it's, it's not your risk for taking HRT is not automatically greater if you're, say, your mother or your sister or your aunt had breast cancer. So, um, if you have a close relative that has this estrogen-sensitive receptor cancer, the age at which they develop this is significant. But um, we we know that breast cancer. The risk of breast cancer increases with age, whether you take HRT or not. So if your mother developed breast cancer later in life, it's not necessarily preventing you from taking HRT. Um, so yeah, so, uh, you know, just because you have a um, high genetic risk of breast cancer doesn't mean you can take it. But again, talk to your doctor about that. So let's sum up. And then I'll, I'll get into the questions. So remember, menopause, it might be a natural process, but it's still, it's still a long-term hormone deficiency. And it, and it has major health risks associated with it. We, we weren't designed to live, you know, back in the old days, we, old ages, the dark ages. You know, women didn't, didn't live much longer than, than 50. So, you know, we're not designed to have... Um, you know, low estrogen in our symptoms and in our, in our bodies. So, and menopause symptoms, they can have a massive impact on quality of life. But remember your, your lifestyle and nutrition and, and it can all play an important role and, and during and after menopause. So it's important to keep an eye on that. And, and that can improve your bone and heart health. So, you know, there's no magic menopause diet. Manage your calories, get adequate fiber and fat. Remember, energy balance is still key. Remember the, the important ones, the protein, the calcium, the vitamin D, get regular exercise, resistance train, don't smoke, manage your stress, limit alcohol, be as active as you can, um, and take care of yourself. When symptoms are bad, take time out to do the things you enjoy. Um, and your, your treatment options, HRT, decide what's right for you. The majority of women who start taking HRT when they're under the age of 60, the benefits really do outweigh the risks. So, you know, that means it is safe to take HRT and it can provide you with so many positive effects for your future health, especially um, 
for your bones and your heart. Um, certain dietary changes like phytoestrogen, they might help, um, but remember the effectiveness of these can, um, can vary and there's not a lot of strong evidence, but if you want to take them, that, you know, there isn't any harm. Um, so, oh, like I was saying, find a GP that has a special interest in menopause. Um, or you can go to the Menopause Society website and they have a list of the GPs in your area that are on their register. So I will post those links. But, you know, don't suffer. There's no medal at the end of this. You, you want to be as low risk as possible of things like osteoporosis and heart disease and diabetes and, you know, have all the evidence and be informed. You know, uh, you know it is a long-term deficiency. It is a natural process, but it's a long-term hormone deficiency. So, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I just, I just think sometimes, you know, you wouldn't think twice about taking a hormone thyroxine to treat your underactive thyroid. Estrogen is the same thing. It's, it's natural. It's just replacing what we're, what, what we're losing. And HRT is just a piece of the puzzle. It's just, a, you know, it's a time when this is a time where lifestyle and diet and exercise, they all play an important role as well. So remember, you're in charge. You're in control of your own health. So, and finally, um. It's good to talk. Talk to your mum if you can. You know, what did she experience? How did she cope? You know, mention it to friends. It's not a taboo subject. It's good to know you're not alone. You know, there's been a few celebrities out there as well now talking about their own experiencing experiences and they're just helping it be much more of an acceptable topic. And talk to your partner too. It can be difficult for men living with a menopausal woman and not understanding the struggles she's going through. So I just think, you know, menopause hasn't been mentioned much until now but remember we're 50 percent of the population and it affects all women or partners mothers sisters and friends and you know we need education of everybody the entire population so i think i'll stop there because i think you've probably all had enough <laughs> so you can unmute yourself <laughs> rob's falling asleep i'm sure <laughs> That was an hour on the nose, Rob, on the nose. It was good. I was here the whole time and falling asleep. Yeah, sure you were. Obviously, I heard there was quite a lot of excuses. I'll test you later. Excuses coming in. Quite a lot of what? A lot of uh, things for the excuses later down the line. Oh, I can't because of this, I can't because of that. <laughs> I thought it was a mega talk. Really, really, really interesting. Um, has anybody got any questions? 